Welcome back to Fundamentally Mormon, part of Zion's Redemption Radio Network. Today we'll be continuing talking about the doctrine of eternal lives. I'm laying a foundation, uh, starting with reincarnation and going into the doctrine of, of eternal lives. So we're starting out with this book called Resurrection, or Reincarnation, actually. And then we'll be getting into another book called The Doctrine of Eternal Lives. But we're on chapter 15 of the book Reincarnation, pages uh, 122 to 135. And this chapter, we'll be talking about the resurrection of the body. The soul shall be restored to the body, and the body to the soul. Yea, and every limb and every joint shall be restored to its body. Yea, even a hair of the head shall not be lost, but all things shall be restored to their proper and perfect frame. You can find that in the Book of Mormon, in the Book of Alma, chapter 40, verse 23. Those who believe in multiple lives must also believe in multiple deaths. The gospel teaches that we live and die as mortals only once. As Paul the Apostle plainly stated, quote, It is appointed unto men once to die. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27. And Alma also talks about dying only once. Quote, now behold... I have spoken unto you concerning the death of the mortal body, and also concerning the resurrection of the mortal body. I say unto you that this uh, mortal body is raised to an immortal body, that is, from death, even from the first death unto life, that they can die no more, their spirits uniting with their bodies, never to be divided, thus the whole becoming spiritual and immortal, that they can see no more corruption. And that's in the Book of Alma, uh, which is in the Book of Mormon, chapter 11, verse 45. Now, Joseph Smith, in the Times and Seasons of April 1844, stated that if they, meaning other individuals, contradict the Bible, the Book of Mormon, or the Doctrine and Covenants, set them down as imposters. So when Joseph Smith taught in the lecture at the Grove about the doctrine of eternal lives and multiple mortal probations, he wasn't contradicting these two scriptures. He was simply stating what it is for this eternal round which is the beginning before the creation of this earth and it goes all the way through until the last great day which is considered the 8,000 year time period so that's after the millennium and these doctrines are for this time period but what God showed me in 2010 when I was asking about reincarnation and I thought I had a really good case for reincarnation that the individual who remembered this past life wasn't actually the individual who was in mortality in this past life 
that he was a ministering spirit and he was assisting an individual who was in mortality and that he remembers the things that he remembers because he was there, but he was not the individual who was in mortality that he remembers. But then he taught me at the very end, after this earth becomes a fire of seeing glass or a celestial sphere, that when the new earth is created and this earth joins in with the celestial sphere or the Shema'im or the heavens, that we have the opportunity to put off our bodies and to go on to a new earth and receive new experiences and a new mortal probation that we might ascend. And that in the resurrected state, unless we're exalted, we're damned from progression. But the secret is that we can put off our resurrection that we have ascended to and go onto a new earth and gain more experience. So when people talk about certain people coming back, all I know is that God told me what he told me, but he also said that there was more to it and he didn't reveal that to me and hasn't even up till this time. It seems that there is a case for certain people to come back, like Joseph Smith, to come back into a new mortal probation. But that theory contradicts these scriptures. And I don't know whether it's true or not. And uh, I haven't received any revelation or any answer concerning those things. But I do know that at the end of this cycle, meaning this earth's history all the way from the beginning to the end and beyond that when this earth becomes a fire of seeing glass as John saw in the book of Revelations and when this when a new earth is created that God revealed to me that we will be able to put off our resurrection and that we will be able to choose to go on a new earth and go through experiences so that we can <clears throat> ascend into a higher resurrection. And that this path and the path of eternities is what is is known as eternal lives. See, in the scriptures and the doctrine and covenants and like some of the sayings of modern day prophets that talks quite a bit about the doctrine of eternal lives, and this is a mystery to many. And it wasn't fully explained, at least to my knowledge, by Joseph Smith or, or others. But uh, we'll get more into that as we go through this series. And like I said before, this series is going to take quite a while. I work really hard doing my job. I haul oil, crude oil, from the Uinta Basin to Castle Country to Wellington, Utah, over a 9,100 and I think 14 foot pass 
which is regularly in the wintertime a blizzard and it is very difficult and hard on my body to do this job. I work four days on. My days consist of up to 16 hours a day, not including the time I'm at the yard waiting to go on duty. So just, I know I'm going off on a little tangent, but I'd, I'd like people to know this so they know why I don't respond to uh, people on Facebook a lot um, and why I don't respond to people in the messenger a lot um, just because I've got so many other things going on which makes it very difficult for me to uh, take the time out to actually respond um, I have a 10 acre farm and I have uh, 7 people in my family including myself and livestock and other animals and um, I beat myself half to death just trying to make a living this podcast I don't make any money for I don't make any money for at all and uh, this is just something that Heavenly Father has asked me to do is to teach the people and to be a bold witness for him um, for those of you who don't know, I have seen the Father and the Son face to face in the flesh. And uh, they have taught me many things, like, for instance, the doctrine of eternal lives, but many other things as well. And with great knowledge comes great responsibility. So I do this podcast for free. Um, when I'm able to. Now, luckily, I got four days off. Um, but my first day or two, um, depending on my health, even sometimes I'm even trying to recover on my fourth day off. But, um, you know, I if I can take the time to do these podcasts, I will do them. Uh, I learn from them. And I want other people to take what nuggets of truth they can find in these things and learn as well. Because this is all about personal progression. And knowledge is required for progression. So studying out these things, I think, is beneficial to the elect. So that's why I do these things. But anyway, let's continue on. We're only at 4%. And this is a little bit longer of a chapter. So it might be a two-parter. The Doctrine and Covenants also speaks of one death. Quote, Yea, and blessed are the dead that die from the Lord, or die in the Lord from henceforth when the Lord shall come, and old things shall pass away, and all things become new. They shall rise from the dead, and shall not die after, and shall receive an inheritance before the Lord in the holy city. Doctrine and Covenants, section 63, verse 49. And we're on page 123 for those of you who are reading along. Death separates the spirit from the body. Resurrection reunites that same spirit with the same mortal body, never to be separated again. 
There is only one body for each spirit and only one resurrection for each soul. Quote, and the spirit and the body are the soul of man, and the resurrection from the dead is the redemption of the soul. Doctrine and Covenants, section 88, verses 15 and 16. Our bodies are continually burning out old cells and replacing them with new. Over a lifetime, our bodies have processed many, many times their normal weight of earthly elements. So the question naturally arises, what part of all those cells and elements are resurrected? As recorded by Wilfred Woodruff, Brigham Young explained how men are not resurrected with all the cells they have been that have been in his body. Quote, I attended the prayer circle where I heard some interesting teachings from President Young in social conversation, which was not reported. The following is a key to some of the principles he advanced. He referred to the preaching of Orson Pratt and Orson Hyde, the Sabbath before, upon the subject of, of the resurrection. He said the identical particles of matter in which he had honored our spirits with, our tabernacles in which we had suf- suffered, traveled, labored, and built up the kingdom of God that would be the identical body and no other that would be raised from the grave to immortality and eternal life. And that was according to Wilford Woodruff's journal of May 6th, 1855. And again from Brigham Young, quote, If the spirit honors the body and the body honors the spirit while they are here united, the particles of, ma- of matter that compose the mortal tabernacle will be resurrected and brought forth to immortality and eternal life but it cannot be brought forth and made immortal except it undergoes a change. For dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. And we're on page 124 for those of you who are reading along. What for? To prepare the body to be made immortal and fitted to dwell in the presence of the gods, or the Elohim, Anyway, that comes from Brigham Young, as recorded in the Journal of Discourses, Volume 8, page 27. One thing real quick I feel impressed to talk about is that Brigham Young was the editor-in-chief of the Journal of Discourses. There was an individual, and maybe there was more than one, but I know of one, who had a specific type of shorthand who would be at the conferences and the different talks and lectures by the leaders of the church and he would write down every word in this style of shorthand that he had learned or created and he would present them to Brigham Young and Brigham Young would make whatever changes needed to be made to the uh, manuscript and then he would have them uh and i think the guy was his name was watson anyway it doesn't matter george watson i think anyway and then they would 
uh, preserve the talks in these magazines that they would send over to the saints in Europe. And they would compile them in volumes. I think there's 28 volumes of the Journal of Discourses. But this is how it was done. And Brigham Young was the one who made sure the talks were correct. And back then they didn't have written talks. Uh, They got up and they spoke according to whatever the spirit put in their mind. So they didn't have, um, you know, written documents about like what somebody was going to say. It was just whatever was written down. And then they would go over it and say, okay, this is correct. This, This is not exactly what he said or whatever it is. And, like, that was the way it was when Joseph Smith was uh, the president and prophet of the church while he was still alive. A lot of our quotes and a lot of the sayings that come from him were not written by him, but they were spoken by him and written down in people's journals. And sometimes people would have different varying uh, things of what Joseph Smith would say. And that's how we have a lot of what Joseph Smith taught. He didn't write it down. He spoke based upon the things that God was revealing to him. And as he was prompted by the Spirit, he would speak to those things. And uh, that's the way it was. Um, for a long time there were no written sermons in fact we were not allowed to have written sermons in the early church you would just speak according to what the spirit placed in your mind how things have changed now there's teleprompters and written talks and they can be published in an enzyme magazine before the talk is even done ringing in your ears Anyway, continuing on, if we believed in being reincarnated, there would eventually be a mountain of dead bodies behind each person. According to the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is only one body, and that body will be raised to to an immortal state in the resurrection. I gotta say something else that drives me nuts, and the people that drive me nuts will never even hear this. I really doubt that they will. I will post the the text that I'm reading, but they will never read it, or they will never listen to my commentary on it, so they don't know what I actually am talking about. But they will see this thing about reincarnation and then they will spout off all of their ignorance about reincarnation. And it isn't even, doesn't even come close to what the text that I'm reading says or what I'm actually saying is. And they want me to like debate them. And I'm just like, holy crap, I do not have time to mess with this. I have... I don't have time to do these podcasts. This is a sacrifice of my time. There are many other things that need to be done. And I am doing this free of charge of my own free will. Because Heavenly Father asked me to. And not for the praise of man or anything like that. And it's not for debate either. Like, if people want to debate, that's fine. Like, people that read it and whatever 
like when I post them in groups, feel free to like talk about the text or talk about my commentary, you know, but I just don't have time hardly to do anything. Like I'm trying to recover from an extremely, extremely difficult work week. If you don't know, if you're listening to this in the future and it's summertime, (laughs) or if you're in Australia and it's summertime right now, today is January 4th. When I go over the mountain passes every week, I have to throw chains over eight to ten tires. These chains are heavy. And it is snowing when I am throwing these chains, and I get soaked. Even though I have um, snow overalls that are waterproof, it doesn't matter. I have to crawl underneath the truck. It's very dangerous. It, it is very time-consuming, and it is very difficult. And I think I run on adrenaline throughout the week because my body is sore, but I'm able to go and keep going and keep going. But as soon as I get home on my last day, at the end of my last day, I just crash. I'm in such pain for 24 to 48 hours that I I just wish that I could pass out or turn off completely. I do sleep a lot, but um, it's difficult. And I know I'm going off on my little tangents, but... I wonder if God has me in this position to prepare me to be strong, to deal with uh, things that will happen as Babylon the Great Falls. Um, I do not want to do what I do. I don't want to do the podcasts. I don't want to do these hard jobs. I don't want to do a farm. I do love my family. I do want to be a good dad and a good father, but I don't want to be a leader. And all of these things that God has asked me to do, I'm doing it because I'm trying to be obedient. But it pushes me to the brink of exhaustion and just the brink of breaking down physically and mentally all the time. And so I'm trying to do my duty I'm trying to do what God has asked me to do. I'm trying to live where God has asked me to live. Um, This property, it's a miracle that I even have it. And I recognize God's hand in it. And um, luckily, probably within the next year, uh, this property will be paid off, all of it. And that's a huge blessing in itself as well. But um, sometimes I don't know how I make it from day to day, let alone year to year. (sighs) But anyway, I don't even have my own hobbies anymore because I'm just doing... I'm My whole life is filled with the duty, duty to God duty to my family, 
duty to taking care of the livestock um, that I don't have time for even a hobby. I have no hobbies. I'm just trying to survive the duty. <laughs> anyway, but this is all part of the duty is doing these podcasts, which is part of the uh, education of the people and part of the school of the prophets. So at least part. Anyway, sometime in the future, Jesus will show his body to the Jewish nation and they will see the wounds in his hands and feet. Quote, and then shall the Jews look upon me and say, What are these wounds in thine hands and in thy feet? And they shall know that I am the Lord. For I will say unto them, These wounds are the wounds with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. I am he who was lifted up. I am Jesus that was crucified. I am the Son of God. Doctrine and Covenants, section 45, verses 51 and 52. These are the same wounds and the same body that was nailed to the cross 2,000 years ago. Jesus did not, in the interim, travel through the series of life cycles. Regarding the assumption that man will go through reincarnations until he reaches exaltation, the Lord said, quote, For these angels did not abide my law, therefore they cannot be enlarged or progress, but remain separate and singly without exaltation in their saved condition to all eternity and henceforth are not gods, but are angels of God forever and ever. And that's in Doctrine and Covenants section 132 verse 17. And I, re- I really wish that I had the Doctrine and Covenants section 132 that Joseph Smith wrote because when William Law read this revelation, which became section 132, he said it was only a couple of pages long. But by the time Brigham Young had gotten hold of it, it had become like 12 pages long or something like that. And that was many years after the death of Joseph Smith. Now, I don't believe Brigham Young was a prophet. I believe he added many things to this revelation. I believe he took multiple revelations and he made sections. Um, I can read them in DNC 103 and DNC 105 and other places where it's... it. Just by discernment, I can see where one revelation ends and the other one begins. Um, and he added many things to the uh, to section one thirty two that were not from God. So I don't know. Um, this all seems pretty interesting, but it just makes me wonder what the truth of Scripture is—the truth that we have, or the truth that, as it was originally given to the prophets who received it. We know that the prophets of old received revelation and it was tampered with. Unfortunately, I believe that Joseph Smith received revelation that was tampered with as well. Anyway, let's get on to page 125. These men are never going to become gods. 
they will not have a second chance, nor a tenth, nor a thousandth chance to reach exaltation. Being born again in multiple mortalities is certainly not an option for them. It is written that the righteous dead who lived from the days of Adam to the time of Christ, such as Enoch, Noah, Moses, and Elijah, were with Christ in his resurrection. See Doctrine and Covenants, section 133, verses 54 and 55. Okay, so I have two things I wanted to say about that. Going back to what I said before, these scriptures are for this earth cycle from the beginning of the creation of this earth until it becomes part of the Shamaim or the heavens, and they don't apply to the next world, uh, although the principles will carry forward. But um, even with all that said, the angels that are not exalted, they do not progress in this earth cycle. But what about people like Joseph Smith? who qualified for exaltation? What about people like Melchizedek or Enoch? Now, Enoch is a different story because Enoch was taken up. So was Melchizedek, I believe, um, who was the son of Noah, whose name was Shem. Melchizedek is a title. But other individuals who qualified for exaltation... Do they never come back into mortality? With people like Joseph Smith, who had many revelations that promised many great things, and he was told he would never lose the keys of this dispensation, does he never come back into mortality? These other angels who were already in mortality, they don't qualify to receive an exaltation and they become servants of God. But what about Paul the Apostle? Does he not come back? I don't know, because um, it doesn't seem like they would come back according to the scriptures. And um, that's one of the things, like when God said there's more to it, but he didn't reveal to me what more to it meant. It makes me wonder, you know, and I still haven't received an answer to this. So, and this isn't something that I dwell on, um, but something I was very interested in was my patriarchal blessing, which was given to me in 1997 and a vision I had in 1995 where I was told I would be the last prophet before Jesus Christ comes back. And then my patriarchal blessing in 1997 said that I have been, past tense, been given the greatest gift which God has to bestow, the gift of eternal life, which has to do with having your calling and election made sure. But I had not had that ordinance sold upon me in 1997, and I didn't know quite what it was at the time or even how that was possible other than God told me it's not because of who you are now in this life it's because of who you were before you came here but he didn't tell me at that time who I was 
In fact, he wouldn't tell me until 2013. So, you know, what, 16 years, I guess? I'm not sure if my math is right, but it, it was quite a while. Anyway, but I asked many times what it meant to have your calling and election made sure. And from 1997, it wasn't until six years later in 2003 when I had that answered in the most profound way that I think is possible. But I was visited or I was taken up in the flesh and I saw the Father face to face and I had many questions answered by Jesus Christ. And I was sealed up to the Father at that point. But it took six years of asking and just, I, I asked lots of questions and I stayed, I was so deep in the scriptures, always studying, trying to do my best to be the best servant of God that I, I could possibly be. And it took six years. And that was, was something I was very interested in. This, I'm doing the series. I'm kind of interested in it. But I'm not as interested in it as maybe I should be. So I don't really ask a whole lot about these things. Now it's just, I do listen to a lot of people and a lot of people in their commentaries and I do read a lot still and I've just seen a lot of people talking about multiple mortal probations and I know that that's a thing but I think that there's different ways to look at it but I don't think that there's more than one way that it's true but I'm open to certain things um I don't believe in reincarnation the way it was taught among the heathens and I'm not sure I believe it as it was taught uh, among these people that believe that it's a doctrine, even though there is a case for it. But I think that people say, okay, multiple mortal probations is many co coming back many times in one earth round, but that's not what God revealed to me in 2010. God revealed to me that we can put off our resurrection after our resurrection, after the new earth is created, that this earth will become a pre-mortal life for that earth, and that we will put off our resurrected bodies and become spirits again and choose to go into another mortal probation that we might ascend and gain a higher resurrection. And I believe that completely and, and totally, 100%, because God revealed it to me and the Spirit confirmed it. But this other idea that we come back many times in one earth cycle, I think that there might be a place for it for people who have qualified to receive an exaltation. I qualified to receive my calling and election before I even came to this earth. I'm here for experience, not to be tested. It's like those babies who are born, who die before the age of accountability. Now, Joseph Smith talked about this, but I don't think he completely understood it because like, well, I won't get into it, but like, I think that there's a lot of people in and among the elect 
who are in different branches of the restoration who are here in mortality mortality not to be tested and tried but to gain experience and also to do work do certain and specific work that God has asked them to do that's why I'm here God has a specific thing or a series of specific things that he needs me to do and I chose even though I'd already qualified for my calling election to be made sure to come into this earth into a probation which was very difficult and still is to be prepared to be the servant that God is needs me to be to do a specific work which God needs me to do and the hard things in my life even this job that I'm doing now it hurts but it's making me stronger so that I can be strong for what God has has for me to do uh, and that is partly leading a people as ba- uh, into the the mountains and the desert places as ba- Babylon falls and like God told me to remain here in Emory County until it's too dangerous to remain here. So we're not going out and preparing a place in the wilderness and like running off into the wilderness because, because, you know, something might happen in the future. We're waiting and gathering here because partly this is where God told me to gather and to gather others. But We're not running into the wilderness until it becomes too dangerous to remain here. Now, we don't live in city limits. We live out in the country. Like I said, we have a 10-acre farm. But we're not just running off into the wilderness until it's time. And you know what? I hope... I hope that time doesn't come for a very long time because I have lived in the wilderness I've lived off grid I have been homeless in a car I have been homeless on the streets I have been homeless in the summertime and I have been homeless in the wintertime and I don't ever want to be homeless again and when it becomes too dangerous to remain here where we're at here God has shown me where he wants us to go. That there is a place prepared in desolate wilderness in the deserts and that we will make our way through the mountains into the desert places and Zion will be born in the desert in this place that God has revealed to me. But I don't want to go there. I don't even want to hike there until it's time to go there because I don't I just I'm tired and I don't like camping unless I'm with a bunch of friends that are of like mind when like when Kevin Kraut the son of Ogden whose book I'm reading um, he would organize these campouts and we did them for many years and he doesn't do them anymore but like People from all over the place would come to them. People who are interested in scholarly uh, stuff, fundamentalists, uh, 
people who are not fundamentalists but were interested in just learning like it was so nice and like we would be there for like three or four days uh, every July or August and um, I could deal with a couple of days of that so I think when the time comes where everything does fall apart and we are required to go into the safe places of the of the desert that things will be difficult but we'll we will be with like-minded individuals who are concerned about keeping all that God has commanded so the Zion can be redeemed, which it will be in the wilderness. It won't be redeemed in Missouri. It will not be redeemed in Salt Lake. Isaiah chapter 35 gives specific uh, geological information about Zion's redemption being redeemed in the wilderness. We're not going to have a, a temple. We're going to have a tabernacle, just like the ancient Jews did. Or Israelites, actually. So anyway, I know I'm going off on tangents. Only 22% into this reading, and I'm already at 41 minutes, almost 42 minutes. This was when the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Matthew chapter 27, verses 52 through 53. When Jesus was resurrected, he appeared unto Mary, or her Hebrew name was Miriam, and we're not talking about Mary, the mother of Jesus, we're talking about Mary, the wife of Jesus. So, he appeared unto Mary, his wife, who knew him, and to his disciples, who all recognized him, and to many others, they saw that he did not have some other body or identity. Those who came from these graves and appeared unto many were the same persons that were laid down in the grave. They did not lose their identity. The reincarnationalists believe that they take up anew in different bodies, Furthermore, they all had been resurrected. At that point, how could they ever come back and be born again into mortality? And like this guy, this Jewish guy that um, was trying to tell Joseph Smith that he was like the reincarnation of Enoch or whatever it was. Like he was trying to say, oh, the spirit of John the Baptist and Enoch and whatever live inside of me. But like... No, they don't. That was the doctrine that was damnable. When I've had false prophets or fallen prophets try to reveal to me that I am some great person from the past, it makes me wonder. I've never received that revelation from God. And God can speak to me if he wants to speak to me. But these individuals will say, oh, I had one guy say that I was already an exalted God, but I came into mortality just so I could help him to be the one mighty and strong, but that I needed to give up my position in the church that God had me organize and let him take over. 
Um, I realized this man was a dangerous individual and that he was trying to usurp authority. And unfortunately, he told me that while he was in my dining room at my house. And I asked God what I should do about him and this other individual. And God told me to excommunicate them. I actually have a revelation because God told me to write down this revelation. Anyway, that was in July, I think, of 2017. And I think it was within four or five months, maybe six, uh, these two individuals had kidnapped their daughters and that they were doing something called... uh, marrying child brides uh, which I did not know about that I had actually kicked them out of my house and uh, the ministry excommunicating them both and I told them that before this even I told them that the revelations that they were receiving were not from God and they needed to check and get confirmation of the spirit before they followed these revelations because when God opens up the veil so that you begin to receive like magnificent visions and revelations and all the things um, Satan tries to come in and uh, offer up a counterfeit to you and sometimes the only way you know the difference is the spirit will testify of one after you've received it but it will not testify of the other but they would never check for revelations and I knew that they were receiving bad revelations from a bad source and I kept telling them you need to check these things and they just wouldn't they refused to listen to me because they thought that they were more knowledgeable and better equipped I guess but they were deceived and the one man who told me I was Enoch and John the Baptist and like I think Elijah I can't remember all the people he told me I was I, and that I was an exalted God who came down to let him, or to help assist him so that he could be the one mighty and strong to set the house of God in order. Well, he's doing 46 years to life in Gunnison, Utah, the prison, the Utah State Prison there. The other individual who did not do as bad of things as this one individual did, he also was convicted. Actually, he pled guilty. That's a big, long story. But they are, he was put in the prison in Bluffdale, Utah, and he's in the mental institution there now, in the prison. And his sentence is 26 years to life. Now, luckily, when they kept such good records when the FBI was looking into them, because I was their leader at one time, Um, they saw that I was not involved in any way, shape, or form in these things. And they had actually written in their journals um, the revelation that I received from God to excommunicate them because I sent it to them. Um, I was not aware of their criminal activity, but I was aware of them receiving false revelations and following a deceptive spirit Uh, there was a bunch of other things too that they did that I was aware of like they had received a revelation that Hitler was actually a great prophet 
and things about flat earth theories, which they had received as doctrine, which I don't do not accept, and other just strange, strange things. Uh, they even received a revelation, uh, a translation, in fact, that they had written down that was uh, translated by the gift and power of God through the, the use of a Urim and Thummim. Uh, information about a god by the name of Nazor, who was the eternal bird god, who was the eternal god before the human god existed. So it's just like, okay, what is going on here? It was, uh, I probably still have it in my file somewhere, but I just read it once and I was like, this is complete garbage. You know, <laughs> anyway. <coughs> wow, this is going to be a really long program. In the resurrection, all things are brought back to their natural form, and so accurately are things recorded that even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Luke chapter 12, verse 7. And they shall all be restored, and not one hair, neither mote, shall be lost. For it is the workmanship of mine hand. Doctrine and Covenants, section 29, verse 25. In reincarnation, nothing is restored as it starts all over again. Some reincarnationalists even say that animals must continue through the process of different lives until they become humans. We're on page 126 at 28%. This, too, is not supported in Scripture. As John the Revelator wrote, quote, And every creature which is, even, or which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb forever and ever. Revelations chapter 5 verse 13. John is testifying that every creature which is in heaven was giving praise to God. As part of the reincarnation theory, animals would have graduated to manhood before they ended up in the heavens as animals. But this passage of scripture shows that animals have a final destiny in heaven and are not part of the evolving and progressing mortal circuits. The prophet Joseph Smith commented on this scripture when he said, quote, John saw curious looking beasts in heaven. He saw every creature that was in heaven, all the beasts, the fowls and the fish in heaven, actually giving glory to God. I suppose John saw beings there of a thousand forms that had been saved from 10,000 times 10,000 earths like this. Strange beasts of which we have no con conception. Excuse me, I had to mute that real quick. Oh. All might have been in heaven, or been seen in heaven, 
the grand secret was to show John that there what there was in heaven. John learned that God glorifies himself by saving all that his hands had made, whether beasts or fowls, fishes or men. And he will glorify himself with them. Says one, I cannot believe in the salvation of beasts. Any man who would tell you that that this could not be would tell you that the revelations are not true. John heard the words of the beasts giving glory to God and understood them. God, who made the beasts, could understand every language spoken by them. The four beasts were four of the most noble animals that had filled the measure of their creation and had been saved from other worlds because they were perfect. They were like angels in their in their sphere, and that's from Joseph Smith as recorded in Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 291 and 292, or on page 127. Brigham Young said that perhaps the greatest revelation ever received in the past 2,000 years was the one recorded as section 76 of the Doctrine and Covenants. There is no misunderstanding of what heaven and hell and the spirit world are all about. Those who are seeking for multiple trips through mortality will be disappointed to learn how clearly their destiny has been arranged with only one death, one trip through the spirit world, and one resurrection. The various degrees of heaven are created for individual natures and characters, as John A. Witso plainly described. Quote, In the final judgment, all the earth, children of the Lord, will be assigned places in one or the other of the three grand divisions or degrees of salvation known to us from modern revelation as the three degrees of glory. Each assignment will depend upon the use of the candidate that the use of the candidate has made of the opportunities placed before death on the earth and elsewhere, for they shall be judged according to their works. Doctrine and Covenants section 76 verse 11. And this whole idea of three separate degrees of glory, I do not agree with that. Um, Necessarily, like, it's, it kind of, they kind of allude it to being in different spheres, or different planets. Um, The city of God, when it is built in the center place, will have different places. In the middle, there will be a tower, and there will be three divisions within the tower. At the top will be the place where only those who are exalted can go. And then um, that tower or palace will be surrounded by a, a wall, basically, where those who are celestial will be able to go into that, but nobody who's terrestrial or telestial. And there will be an inner courtyard or an outer courtyard and different divisions. Like, 
those who are telestial and celestial will serve those who are celestial and exalted. They're not divided off into different places. Now, when this earth becomes a fire of seeing glass, it becomes a celestial sphere, and those who are not celestial will not be able to abide the glory of remaining here. That's why God provides a new earth for them to go to. So there will be some division, but it's the way the church teaches it from this from this time that we're talking about. Johnny Witzel was a long time ago. Like, they have these ideas, um, but they're not so clear as to the way it really is, if that makes any sense. Of course, a lot of people are taught a certain way, and they'll never be able to budge from that until they see it for themselves. So, anyway, by his own acts, each person has shown his fitness to participate in the activities of this or that glory. It would be useless to place him higher than his capabilities would permit and unfair to place him lower. If you place too high, he would be uh, competent or happy there, nor he would not be competent or happy there, nor could he be content if he was placed too low. The degree of salvation of necessity corresponds under the merciful justice of the Lord with the demonstrated worthiness and capacity and capability of each individual. The final judgment is individual, and that is from Evidence and Reconciliation by John A. Witso, page 204. And we are at... 43%. Continuing on, Brigham Young also explained, quote, There are myriads of people pertaining to this earth who will come up and receive a glory according to their capacity. A man apostatizes and comes back and there is a place prepared for him and so there is for all persons to suit their several capacities and answer to the lives they have lived in the flesh. Journal of Discourses, Volume 6, page 347. We're on page 28 of the reading of this book, or 128 at 45%. And further, all occupy their own place fulfill their own sphere, and glorify God. And there, as there are different glories that the children of men will inherit in that eternal wor- world according to their faithfulness and diligence and capacity in keeping the commandments of God while here, each one will be enabled to find his own element and participate in what kind of glory and participate in that kind of glory, which is the most congenial uh, to his nature and suited to his capacity. According to the testimony of the prophets, and that comes from the Times and Seasons, volume 5, page 408, which is an early church publication. 
During the lifetime of the Prophet Joseph Smith, there were many examples of saints who had lived worthy enough in their one mortal life to receive a glorious resurrection. Four of these are briefly mentioned here. Number one, the elders on Zion's march. The Prophet called on many of the elders to join in the march to Zion, to Missouri, to help their brethren, and they all knew there was a possibility that their own lives would be taken by the mobs. There were many problems among the brethren along the way, and towards the end of the march, some of the elders were stricken and even died with the cholera. They were martyrs of, the, of a sort to the cause of the gospel, and later Joseph Smith commented on their final reward. He, speaking of Joseph Smith, proceeded to relate a vision of these brethren, of the state and condition of those men who died in Zion's camp in Missouri. He said, Brethren, I have seen those men who died of the cholera in our camp, and the Lord knows if I get a mansion as bright as theirs, I ask no more. At this relation, he wept, and for some time he could not speak. Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 2, page 181. We're on page 129 at 52%. If those men received a mansion so great that the prophet himself wanted nothing greater, there must be no need for them to return to earth to gain a better reward. Number 2. David W. Patton. In a revelation to Joseph Smith, the Lord mentioned that the apostle David W. Patton, who had been killed in battle with the mob, my servant David Patton, who is with me at this time, and also my servant Edward Partridge, and also my aged servant Joseph Smith Sr., who sitteth with Abraham at his right hand. Doctrine and Covenants, section 124, verse 19. This would indicate that these brethren had received a great reward and were all together, not rotating around the earth again and again in some other bodies. Number three, the patriarch James Adams. The prophet Joseph Smith, speaking at the funeral of James Adams, said, Patriarch Adams is now one of the spirits of the just men made perfect. He has had revelations concerning his departure and has gone to a more important work. When men are prepared, they are better, they, they are better off to go, home, uh, go hence. Brother Adams has gone to open up a more effectual door for the dead. The spirits of the just are exalted to a greater and more glorious work. Hence, they are blessed in their departure to the world of spirits. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, pages 325 and 326. And we're on page 130 at 58%. The closer analysis of these remarks, it is clear that they certainly do not support the idea of reincarnation.
a men can go to a more important work than staying in and returning to mortality. B, men are ju- men like Judge Adams can be prepared in one lifetime. Number C, men are better off to go into the world of spirits instead of staying or returning into mortality. And D, exalted, exalted refers here to a higher level than mortality. Number four, two men in Nauvoo, two boys, Dennison Harris and Robert Scott, were invited to a meeting in Nauvoo during the early spring of 1844. It was a secret meeting of apostates who were plotting to kill the Prophet Joseph Smith Jr. After attending, they felt they should inform the Prophet about what was going on. Joseph thought for a moment and then asked the two young men if they would attend the next scheduled meeting and report back, to which they would do, or said they would do. Joseph advised them, however, to make no covenants nor enter into any obligations whatsoever with them. He then added, boys, this will be their last meeting and they may shed your blood but I hardly think they will as you are so young. If they do, I will be a lion in their path. Don't flinch. If you have to die, die like men. You must be martyrs for the cause. You will be martyrs for the cause and your crowns can be no greater. That comes from the contributor, which is an early church publication Volume 5, page 253. And yet these two young boys had never been on a mission. They never married, nor had a family. This gives one reason to believe that we can come or that we can make sacrifices in this life sufficient to have the opportunity to receive crowns that can be no greater. And it would be unnecessary to come back for repeating births to gain those mortal experiences, as the opportunity would apparently be provided during the millennium. And we're on page 131 at 65%. St. Thomas Aquinas, who was an early church father, we're talking about like first century, first to third century, I can't remember. AD. But anyway, St. Thomas Aquinas, who is one of the most influential scholars of medieval times, was asked how so many different people could all share in the glory of heaven. He answered that people are like different sized cups. When they achieve heaven, they will receive as much as they can contain. Each cup will be br- will be brimful, so that even the smallest cl- cup is as full as it can be, and each will be happy as he can be. If men all have different sized stomachs and they all eat until they are full, one is just as fully fed as the others. The baby resurrection theory. The idea of the so-called baby resurrection theory was started in the church in the 1840s with the apostle Orson Hyde, 
as one of its main proponents. Brigham Young described this theory, quote, we have, one, we have another one in the Quorum of the Twelve who believes that infants actually have the spirits of some who have formerly lived on the earth, and that this is better, this is their resurrection, which is a doctrine so absurd and foolish that I cannot find language to express my sentiments in relation to it. So there was an apostle who believed those things, and Brigham Young who claimed to be an apostle. He wanted to talk about that guy. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Anyway, that was uh, that was found in Journal of Discourses, Volume 12, page 66. Brigham Young again expressed his negative reaction to this theory. Quote, Not more than a week since, I was told the baby resurrection doctrine was spreading among the people. It is something I do not understand. Some say the spirit of Joseph Smith is in the bodies of their children, and some have the spirit of Hiram. And I do not know, but some would go go so far as to say that the spirit of the old mother Smith had actually come into the body of some child before she was dead. The returning again to the spirits of the dead in the bodies of our babies is the theory of the baby resurrection, and that's in Teachings of of Brigham Young, Volume 3, page 247, and we're on page 132 at 73%. The following reference shows that this theory received no support among most of the church leaders. Sunday, November 21st, 1847, I met at the stand some of the twelve in the congregation. Orson Pratt addressed the congregation upon the subject of the resurrection, which was interesting to all. Some had been teaching the doctrine that the resurrection was by birth or through the womb, but Brother Pratt showed the folly of such doctrine. Now, that was recorded in Wilford Woodruff's journal. I just want to say there are people out there who believe this is how a resurrection happens. Not that they're in a glorified resurrected being, but that they come back into mortality upon the same earth, which contradicts former revelation. And when Joseph Smith said, if it contradicts the Bible, the Book of Mormon, or the Doctrine and Covenants, you have to set them down as imposters. Now, in order to put these puzzle pieces together correctly, you need to have the Holy Spirit to confirm, inspire, and give you revelation on these things to help you understand how things fit together. But I do not believe that the people who are teaching that we come into multiple resurrected bodies and all that means is that we're born again into mortality. I do, do not, do not believe that they are sent from God. As charismatic as they may be, as many truths as they may teach, I do not believe they're from God. Remember in the endowment when Satan comes, he teaches truths 
but they're mixed with lies. Now the truths may be true, but they're still not from God because they are offered by the devil. And these doctrines are doctrines of demons. And even though the individual may be very charismatic and very knowledgeable, he's giving you truth to feed you the carrot, but he's leading you into paths that are not right. Because we're in a time of testing right now. Those people who are waking up and coming out of the corporation and looking for the remnant, there are many Judas goats out there for you to go to. And it's a test. In fact, there's an individual that I I want to curse. Or I wanted to in the past. I don't want to anymore. But like I, I had explained to him on his Zoom call many times why he was wrong and asked him to consider what I was presenting to him because the way he was presenting it, it contradicted other revelation. And it contradicted what God had revealed to me. But like, who am I? I'm just some guy, right? According to 99.999% of everyone out there. But anyway, it contradicted certain things. And I, I said, like, look, the way you're teaching it, like, it can't be because these things contradict those things. And, like, he just refused because he had a following and he gained pride from a following, uh, which is interesting because he had never been married. He had never had kids. You know, he owned at one time a chocolate factory, a very high-end chocolate. Like, if you know who I'm talking about, you know who I'm talking about. But God, when I ask God, because I don't curse people unless, like, God gives the okay. Anyway, but um, God told me no that he's a test for these people. Like, they're coming out of the corporation and they're finding these other leaders and they're being led astray by these people. For instance, the individual I'm talking about will have people pray to God and come to a conclusion. And then their confirmation of the Holy Spirit doesn't come to the heart with this man. It comes back to the mind. So, Heavenly Father, is this true and correct? Does this come from you? And you'll receive a revelation in your head. Yes, it comes from me. But Satan can say that too, because Satan can speak to your mind. But he cannot speak to your heart. Revelation comes to your mind and to your heart. That's talked about, and it's either DNC section 8 or section 9 I can't remember but he does speak to our mind but so does Satan he whispers thoughts into your head and you can ask Satan does this come from Heavenly Father and Satan can say yes it comes from me my daughter or my son but it's still a deception God speaks to our mind and to our heart 
when God reveals something to me and I take it back to him and I say, I believe the thing that you, I, that you revealed, is it true? Then he speaks to our heart through the influence of the Holy Ghost, which is, according to Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23, peace and joy and love and these type of things. In the Doctrine and Covenants, it tells us if, if the thing be wrong, that we will have a stupor of thought. And this in this is when the spirit withdraws from you. So instead of feeling the influence of the Holy Spirit where God is speaking to your heart, you will fill a void. And in that void will be replaced the spirit of the adversary. And you will feel it. Especially if you are very used to having the spirit with you as I am. The spirit will withdraw and you'll have anxiety and and depression and sometimes even anger. Like everything will start going wrong for you. Like it's just, it takes a minute, but it it just eventually it's like a snowball rolling down a hill. And when when that happens to me, I will stop and I will say, Heavenly Father, I recognize that the spirit is withdrawn from me. And I repent of believing in this false doctrine that I brought to you earlier. And I ask you to restore the spirit to me. And I turn away from the false doctrine. That's how you learn whether something is from God. But it has to be through the mind and through the heart. But he teaches only through the mind. Which is sad. And there's many other things that he teaches that sound good but they contradict former revelation, which shows he's an imposter. Anyway, continuing on, I myself sat for over two hours once in a meeting house in St. Louis listening to the prominent elders of this church who called the people together to preach to them the doctrine of the what was called baby resurrection. He preached two or three uh, to two or three thousand people, and there was not a word of truth in the doctrine. See, I think baby resurrection is where they think that like the spirits of the dead come back into the babies that are born into mortality. And there's there's doctrines like this that are being promulgated among certain groups of restor- uh, restorationalists that I know of. But anyway, I thought that he ought to know better. For the afternoon, I was called upon to speak. After meeting, there were a great many people gathered around me and asked what I thought of the man's sermon. I replied, it is all nonsense. Well, that is just how I felt. It is no benefit in this world for men to preach such false doctrines. And that comes from Wilfred Woodruff's Collected Discourses, edition by Brian Study, I think, or Stoy, Volume 2, April 6, 1890. I have had to contend against what is called the baby resurrection, which has been brought or has been taught and indulged by some and is one of the most absurd doctrines that can be taught of. Having had these foolish doctrines to combat, 
I am not willing that the idea should be possessed in your minds that the body is neither here nor nor there, and that the work of salvation is entirely spiritual. We have received these bodies for an exaltation to be crowned with those who have been crowned with crowns of glory and eternal life. And that comes from Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, Volume 9, page 287, and we're on page 133 at 80% through the reading for today. There are a great many churches that do not believe in ordinances at all, and there are some called Christians who do not believe in the blood of the Savior and that he himself has nothing more or less, was nothing more or less than a good man. If they believe in the baby resurrection or that a person who had committed adultery would have his bloodshed in the resurrection, it would be just as consistent as to believe that they, what they do believe. These ideas are all wrong. Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, Volume 12, pages 69 and 70. You have not the power to baptize yourselves, neither have you power to resurrect yourselves, and you could not legally baptize a second person for the remission of sins until some person first baptized you and ordained you to this authority. So with those that hold the keys of the resurrection to the resurrected the uh, resurrect to resurrect the saints, Joseph will come up in his turn, receive again his body, and continue his mission in the eternal worlds until he carries it out to perfection, which all the rest, the faithful, to be made perfect with those who have lived before and those who shall live after. And when the the work is finished and is offered to the Father, then they will be crowned and receive keys and powers by which they will be capable of organizing worlds. What will they organize first? Were I to tell you, I should certainly spoil all the baby resurrection that Elder Hyde and the others ever preached, as sure as as the world. And that was by Brigham Young Journal, as recorded in Journal of Discourses, Volume 6, page 275. Along with the baby resurrection, some believe that we must pass through many bodies before we receive a place in heaven. Wilfred Woodruff told about an occasion when Brigham Young gave a sermon correcting previous remarks by one of the brethren. And this is recorded, um, it was recorded on February 19, 1854, Sunday. E.D. Woolley was called upon to preach a funeral sermon, or rather upon the resurrection of the dead, as some of the saints had advanced some erroneous ideas concerning the resurrection. Brother Woolley had some incorrect ideas. When he closed, President President Young followed and many made many good remarks. He said that we should have the same 
bonafide identical bodies that our spirits occupied while in this life. And we're on page 134 at 90% through the reading for today. So maybe it won't be a three-hour program. <laughs> our graves would literally be opened and our bodies become, would come forth. And that's according to Wilfred Woodruff's journals. The immortal restoration of our present body is the literal meaning of the resurrection. It does not mean that we are born again into mortality as a baby and will go through another lifetime here. A few spiritual passages refer to risen again, which is talked about in Matthew chapter 7 verse 9, Acts chapter 17 verse 3, Romans chapter 8 verse 34, and Doctrine and Covenants 18 verse 12, and Mormons 7 verse 5, and some individual interpret that to mean there must be two or more mortal deaths in order to rise again. In Matthew 17, verse 9, after Christ, Peter, James, and John had come down from the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus instructs them to tell to tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. However, Mark chapter 9, verse 9 refers to the same comment without using the word again. Quote, they shall tell no man what things they had seen till the Son of Man were were risen from the dead. Both accounts were undoubtedly referring to the future resurrection of the Savior when he would come to life again, as the Apostle Paul explained, women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35. The word again refers to life, for in the resurrection all will rise or come to life again. It is also interesting that Paul related how some people were willing to be tortured in this mortal life in order to receive a better resurrection. He didn't say to receive a better mortality. These individuals must not have experienced another turn in mortality in order to obtain this better condition. Page 135 at 97%. We close this chapter with Brigham Young's description of a glorious resurrection. If the body honors the spirit, it will, by its influence, sanctify the body and prepare it for the glory in the celestial world. When the two work unitedly together, the body yields obedience to the influence of the spirit, which the spirit purifies in this way. The body and the spirit both form one being and are prepared for the glorious resurrection to be perfected in one, in spheres of endless blessedness. And that comes from teachings of the prophet, our teachings of Brigham Young. 
volume 3, page 256. So that's the end of the chapter for today. Uh, when we come back, we'll be starting on pages our page 136, reading chapter 16, and we'll be talking about the second death. Now, in the description of the podcast, um, either at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon or on iTunes, um, and the podcast on iTunes is called Zion's Redemption Radio Network. Um, in the description of this podcast, there will be links for you to find reading this chapter, only this chapter, or a link for you to find the book so you can read the whole book online for free. And there will be links for other books to be found, as well as you'll be able to find um, you know, other, other episodes with other topics. Now, I can't remember if iTunes only allows... It's 200 or 300 episodes. We have more than, I think, more than 600 at this point. So the older episodes you can find at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. But you will not be able to find the older ones on iTunes. Now, I would have over a thousand, uh, way over a thousand if my... uh, uh, old radio program, The Kingdom of God or Nothing, was still around, but unfortunately that was hacked. You can still see that there were podcasts on iTunes even. Just type in The Kingdom of God or Nothing and you'll be able to see that there are podcasts listed, but all of the audio has been destroyed by some some hacker. I don't know who did it. Anyway, but it's the way it goes. Because when you become a threat to the devil's kingdom, the devil will come after you, and he will use many weak-minded individuals to do that. In fact, if you you do not have any kind of persecution, you're probably not a threat to the devil's kingdom. Do you know who is a threat to the devil's kingdom? People who are preparing to be part of Zion's redemption and the remnant. The remnant that Isaiah saw. If God is coming, or if Satan is coming after you and trying to stop you, it's because he's afraid of you. If he's not, it's because he's not afraid of you. And um, I consider the deletion of hundreds of podcasts before a direct attack by Satan. And I don't like it that God just allows people to have their free agency completely for them to do these kind of things. But we're going to continue on whether or not um, these programs eventually become deleted or we have uh, persecution. Um, I've had death threats. I've had uh, threats where people have said they were going to have my family taken from me. Like, I don't even know how that would be possible because my family loved me. (laughs) And there is no uh, abuse or anything like that. Um, I pay my taxes. I do not break the law. I try to be very upstanding as part of 
uh, my position in the community and as, as a father and a husband. So I don't know, like Satan sends a lot of weak minded people my way to try to destroy me and however he can. But we're going to continue doing these programs until I am not able to anymore. And hopefully that'll be all the way up until Babylon falls and war breaks out in this country. Um, But we are not going to participate in those wars. God never sends the righteous to destroy the wicked. God will allow the righteous to defend themselves against the wicked, but God never sends the righteous to defend or to destroy the wicked. And this Western world has become more corrupt and more wicked and evil than Sodom and Gomorrah. And for those of you who want to be the patriots who fight for the Constitution, I commend you. That's a good cause. But you may be working against God because God is going to allow this Western world to be completely destroyed. The remnant that Isaiah saw He sees them going into the highways of the top of the mountains and into the desert places and allowing the wicked to be destroyed by the wicked. That's going to happen. When those patriots are still fighting, they will get down to the point, according to the visions, where they're almost completely destroyed, and that is when those who have been redeemed and are part of Zion, who went into the wilderness as part of the remnant, those people will have the fullness of the priesthood. And it says that two will put 10,000 to flight. And the reason for this is because they have been given the fullness of the priesthood where they're able to control the elements to command the elements and to do things that God allows them to do, to do, which will be like superhuman, the eyes of the enemy that is coming to destroy this country. And in the vision, the Patriot, the Patriots that are almost wiped out, they call these men who come down from the mountains, the mountain boys, So hopefully we're not going into those times too quickly because I am not interested in camping. I do like my place here where God has put me here in Emory County. But we need to be prepared because things might be faster than we expect, expect them to be, but then they might be slower than we expect them to be. Moses was 80 years old when he started his journey with the Israelites in the wilderness. He was 120 when God took him. I'm 46. Well, I'll be 46 in June, so 45, 46 this year.
So if Moses could do it at 80, I guess I can do it at 80. And I kind of hope that I get to wait until I'm 80 because I want to raise my family and raise my kids and love my wife without having all of the extra stress of of walking through the wilderness and trying to live in teepees and wigwams. People have expected God to move quicker. But God's timing is his timing. And there is no time limit that we are looking at. I think that... um, People who try to press God are foolish. These individuals, I had a woman come from the border of Mexico and Arizona to be rebaptized a number of years ago, and I discerned that her reason for coming to me was because she was trying to force a baptism of fire. Do you know how I received my baptism of fire? I didn't receive it by forcing it. I received it by asking God questions, studying the scriptures, serving God's people, and serving the Gentiles. Doing the things that I felt that God wanted me to do and being good to people. Eventually, I received my baptism of fire. But I didn't push it. And I think that there's a lot of people today that are trying to push it when they should just be living and keeping God's commandments and being opened to his revelations and the confirmation of the Spirit. And eventually, when God's timing comes they too will receive their baptism of fire. But but to try to force things, I just, I don't think it's right. And you know what? I wanted I wanted to, uh, to move forward much faster. When God revealed to me who I was in 2013 and, and what he needed me to do, I was like a, I was like a dog just running at, at the thing, you know? But God showed me that he had to keep me on a leash because his timing is not my timing. He revealed to me what he wanted me to do, but there was a time that the things would take for things to be done. So these days, I have friends who say, when do you think the economic collapse is coming? I don't know. It was supposed to happen 10 years ago. It was supposed to happen last year. It could have happened last fall, but it didn't happen. And I tell them, I am living my life according to the principles of the gospel now. And I'm not going to be allowed to be swayed by fear that somehow something is going to happen. I know that God will provide for me. When God had me go from Everett, Washington down to uh, St. Petersburg, Florida, he provided a way for me to get there in my car. I had just enough money to get there. He took care of me. I lived in my car for a couple, three weeks. I went to day labor jobs. 
on days when I couldn't get work, there were days when I had no money, people would just walk up to me and they, and I wasn't even asking, I never asked people for money, but they would be impressed by God to provide $20 or provide some food or something. And I wouldn't even ask for it. So I know God takes care of his people. Um, I was placed in positions where I was able to get into a place. And then I was able to become the only person who lived there. And then I was able to replace all of the, the worn out furniture with antiques for free. Because I was a manager at a 55 and older trailer park. In Florida, that's interesting because when people die, their families are in like Wisconsin or Minnesota or Illinois or wherever, and they don't come down and get their stuff and they have to be evicted even though they died. And when they evict, all of the stuff goes in big dumpsters and taken to the landfill because all of the thrift stores are completely packed full of stuff because there's so many people that bring all this stuff down to Florida. There's just no room for, for it. So um, I had my home completely furnished by antique furniture. And I had a nice, uh, a couple of nice televisions. I had a three-bedroom apartment. I went down there with nothing. Just enough money to get there. Eating t- uh, two one-dollar um, sandwiches from Wendy's or McDonald's a day. That's all the food I got with water. And God provided. And by the time I, I left there a year later, I'd gotten two roommates because I knew I was leaving. Because God told me I was leaving, but I didn't know how. I, I, I got married to somebody. That's how I left. But um, I gave it all to them. God provided everything, and I know that God will provide for me again when we go into the wilderness. I'm not worried about it. I have gone without food twice for 30 days apiece, and I know that hunger only lasts three days before the hunger pains are gone. So I'm not worried about the future. I'm concerned about the truth of the gospel. I'm concerned about Zion's redemption and the things that don't pertain to it, I'm not really concerned about. So I think that uh, we'll be done. I'll be done with the program for today. Like I said, when I come back um, on for the next program, we'll be talking about the second death. Uh, which is chapter 16 of Reincarnation, starting on page 136. So with that, I bid you adieu. Thank you for listening. Take care, everyone. God bless, and goodbye.